This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. The episodes in this feed were originally published on Crawlspace. Please use caution while listening and follow Crawlspace Podcast for more. Why don't you, uh, you, you have a lot of stuff going on, so why don't you introduce yourself and your podcast and, and the, uh, the research that you do on these, um, on these serial killers and these, these, uh, these cold cases. Yeah, so I'm pretty much started out, you know, as a, not a blogger necessarily, but a little bit of writing and stuff, and then I eventually launched a blog that I've been putting off for a while, launched it this year, February, and then, um... You know, I sort of was working with some people on the podcast angle and, you know, luckily I got linked up with Mike Ferguson uh, and he uh, hosts True Crime All the Time and True Crime All the Time Unsolved. And we both got together and talked and, and we felt there's a good fit there for us to do a, you know, do a podcast. So we just launched launched our podcast, Criminology. And but before that, you know, I did a lot of research on the zodiac killer especially that's one of the biggest cases that i've researched i've done that you know 10 years and then there's a lot of different cold cases here and there that you know that's one of the passions that i have is is the cases that are forgotten not the ones that are in the news like every day it's the ones that you know sort of like you guys with maura murray the ones that get lost someplace and and then you know five ten years later they're forgotten about so that's that's what i like to spend time looking into uh and then more recently, you know, I've gotten heavily involved in the Golden State Killer case, which, you know, led to going to, to CrimeCon and stuff. So that's that's what I'm doing now. That's right. So we crossed paths at CrimeCon, but didn't really get to speak. All this stuff is real interesting. All the things that you cover, Zodiac Killer site and your, and your site, True Crime Guy, a lot of good information there. Um, I like the podcast as well, Criminology. So you're talking about the Zodiac killer case on criminology uh, to start, right? Yeah, that's I, I. And what was good about that was, you know, starting off a podcast, I've got all this years of information and reports and files, and I was like, I might as well put this to use and, and make it a little bit easier for starting off. So that's he, you know, Mike also liked that uh, case. So that's one that we decided to go with together and. Luckily, we have a good amount of material to work with to, to get started here. Tim has said to said to me, we should really cover the Zodiac on a couple of the uh, Crawl Space uh, Seller series or, um, you know, get into that. And I love the Zodiac case. I love the Boston Strangler case. But I get so overwhelmed and, and really um, the work that people like yourself put into it. It's I feel like I'd be I feel like we'd be like even worse than the Wikipedia page on it. You know, if people would would go to us and just get barely a glimpse of it in, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. Um, so, yeah, uh, the work you do on that is, is phenomenal. When did you start doing that? When did you st- when did you look at the Zodiac and say, that's my that's that's the one I'm that's the one I want. You know, it was uh, you know, when I was I was one of the I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager in the 80s and um, I had one of those weird uh 
fascinations, I guess, with, with serial killers. And I remember getting a book. I don't even know where I got it from, but it was about serial killers. And I turned to the page, I had an article on Zodiac. And I said, well, that really sounds sinister. You know, the name sounds sinister. So um, I went I went out and got the uh, Robert Graysmith book and did a book report on it. And, you know, I've been pretty much interested in ever since. And then I launched the website and uh, I was able to make some contacts in law enforcement and, and get access to some some different things that helped me along the way, research the case. And it's one of those cases where you just get sucked into it and you're, it's hard to get out of it, you know? So yeah, uh, that's what it's been for me for, for, you know, a good many years now. If you remember, what did you get for a grade on the book report? Oh, I, you know, I think it was a B minus and I, I don't remember the exact grade, but I remember the comment she made, she put in big, the score was real low, but in big, bold print, she said, subject matter with a big question mark and she didn't explain what it was so I, I sort of think she just didn't like me doing a report about that um but that's the thing that sticks out to me not so much the grade which is probably better than the grade hey i did the work it was something that i researched i read the, I read the whole book did the report and uh you know she didn't say we couldn't cover serial killers so that's the one yeah. i did and then she went down to the principal and was like reassign this kid from my class please yeah <laughs> So, um, you mentioned Robert Graysmith. So he wrote one of the books uh, about the Zodiac. And so, how do you feel about this guy? Because I know he's kind of controversial. Like, let's let's get right into this. Well, Robert Graysmith started off when he wrote Zodiac. He wasn't a professional writer. He wasn't an author. It's just something that he, you know, like a lot of us, just got sucked into, and then said, you know what, I'm going to write a book. So. I think he's done some things where, you know, there's some errors possibly in his book that some people interpret as him misleading people. I, I tend to think it's more amateur writer making some mistakes. You know, he wasn't a professional researcher. So I think he made some mistakes along the way, and those have been, you know, a lot of people like to jump on them. I think it was more harmless than than anything intentional. But, you know, because of his book, that's why me and a lot of other people – you know, are into this case and, and what got us started. And uh, I know the Zodiac movie, David Fincher's movie that came out about 10 years ago, uh, is is a favorite of mine. And, and Gray Smith is, uh, of course, a character in that. He's, he's the guy uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Are you one of the people that have the, um, of the school of thought that the Zodiac was, this is for anybody who is just discovering you, um, was he a singular killer who singularly uh, taunted the police, or was it um, two or three people that that possibly just capitalized on the uh, on the publicity, or one man who capitalized on what was were probably just regular regular crimes, muggings, the the shooting of the cab driver. Um, who's what was the cab driver's name? Paul Stein. Uh, Paul Stein. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. My personal opinion, he was just, you know, a lone nut, um, a guy that didn't get much attention in, in everyday life and fantasized about being somebody bigger than he was. And, you know, I think when he started out, you know, obviously he was disturbed because he's going out and killing people. But I think the killing became, you know, an afterthought. I think the letters and the, the interaction with the press and stuff and the, the attention he was getting, I think that became more of his main focus. Uh, from a victim total, he didn't kill that many people that we know of, but um, he wrote letters for, you know, 
five years, essentially. So um, I, I think that was primarily the motivation for him. So you think it was one guy? One one lone uh, nut job. How come he was never caught? I think he was lucky. I think that was part of it. I mean, he'd never get away with it today. He'd be caught pretty quickly today. But um, I think he was lucky was, was the biggest thing. Um, and, you know, he, he literally was missed by a minute you know, at the at Paul Stein's murder scene, he went went around the block, and literally the cop, first cop pulled up immediately afterwards. And then, when he was walking down Jackson Street, getting away from, you know, from the cab, a police car drove, you know, down the same road as him. They stopped and slowed down and looked at him, but they had put out an ape, you know, a, a be on the lookout for a black male, and somehow they had mistakenly put that out there, or else he would have been stopped right there, probably. So. Uh, luck was on his side, and he wasn't a master criminal, I don't think. But, you know, it's, it's one of the fascinating things is not knowing, you know, who he is or, you know, that way everybody's theories are, you know, can be right. We recently spoke to Billy Jensen, who is a, a criminal, um, is an investigative journalist, and he's got a real heavy focus on um, unsolved cases and a real heavy focus on unidentified uh, murder victims, uh and uh, and unsolved murders, um, and he 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 is of the belief that it's go it would be it is much easier to get away with murder today. And a lot of people say, like you just said, if he was doing this today, he would be caught you know pretty quickly. Um, but if he's smart enough to do what he's doing, he would adapt to what he needs to do today to get away with it. Um, there's a lot more people out there in the world. There's a lot more information, whether it's intentional or not, that can tell you how to get away with murder. I mean, if you kill somebody and dispose their body in pieces across state lines, you can pretty much get away with murder. Uh, there's a lot of bodies that just lay in morgues that go unidentified for, for years and years and you know, sometimes forever. Do you think that if the Zodiac were around today in his prime, that he would adapt to those circumstances? On one hand, you're definitely right, because you could listen to any number of different podcasts, like all, all of ours that are out there, and, and learn from what previous people have done to get away with crimes and adapt and, and use things like that. But on the other hand, I think he was pretty impulsive. You know, I, I think he... At, you know, the very first crime scene, he literally started shooting, you know, 30 seconds after a witness passed him. You know, you would think that maybe he's going to hold off and say, all right, somebody just went by. I'm not going to start shooting right now. But he didn't waste any time. So I think he's a little bit impulsive. Um, and I, I think what makes it harder to go get away with what he did was, you know, in today's standards, there's like a camera on every corner, you know, I just think at some point he'd slip up, but they'd get a license plate, um, something. And, you know, with DNA advancements and stuff like that. Now, I, I just think there's too much working against him to pull something off, uh, like he did back then today. You mentioned if he'd listened to podcasts, um, maybe he'd, uh, have an easier time getting away with it. I find that, um, pretty interesting. Uh, I wonder if, if murderers are the kind of people who do listen to podcasts or vice versa, you know, I, I kind of get the feeling that most murderers don't know that much about this stuff. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think there's many murders out there listening to, to true crime podcasts because they're out there living it. You know, they're out there doing the stuff that everybody else is talking about on these podcasts. So, 
Um, I don't think they necessarily have an interest in listening to the podcast when they can just go out there and do what we're all talking about. What are you going to listen to when you're in your car stalking your victim? Well, yeah, I don't know. I, me personally, I'd put on some heavy metal music or something. I don't, I don't know, but, um, Maybe they listen to true crime podcasts just to remind themselves, I can't do this because that's how this guy got caught or something. Wouldn't it be easier to get away with a murder if someone like who knew a bunch of facts about true crime, uh, who listened to a bunch of these shows, watched a, a lot of uh, Oxygen Network and uh, certain crime networks? Um, would I mean, like if, if a, a true crime podcaster decided to go into murdering or try it once in a while they'd probably have an easier time getting away with it than just some I would, typical I would murderer. I would think so. I, you know, I'd, I'd agree with you. I, I would think so. But in the heat of the moment, something like that happens, maybe you don't even think clearly. Maybe you're not thinking about other things. The only thing I've learned that I would remember, you know, not that I'm planning on killing anybody, but take the uh, put, leave your cell phone at home because it seems like they always tri- triangulate somebody's cell phone uh, you know, to a murder victim or something. So That's right. We uh, we actually talked about doing an episode uh, about like the perfect murder and and how we would do it, um, but we haven't recorded it yet because I feel like it might be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it, you Possibly never know. They're responsible. Yeah, I, I think most of the listeners out there are, are pretty sane, but you never know if there's one that's uh, you know capable of listening <laughs> to something you say and, and using it. So let me ask a kind of kind of a wild theory here that I heard and, and that I really kind of uh, liked at least listening to. I don't know if I subscribe in it, but uh, the idea that Zodiac is also the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski? How do you feel about this theory? Yeah, that I personally don't buy it. I mean, I think his DNA and whatever evidence and timeline, I'm sure they've, they've dissected that and put that under a microscope, and I just can't see it being him. You know, obviously he's a killer, but he liked to kill from a distance. You know, Zodiac liked to get right up close and and get his hands dirty, I guess. And Ted Kaczynski liked to leave a bomb and run off and and let his you know destruction happen after that. Um, the interesting thing is, though, you know, he he was in California at certain times around the Zodiac you know case. I don't know his exact timeline, but and his handwriting actually looks similar. In, in some aspects to Zodiacs. Um, but again, I just think if there was anything there to be found linking him, you know, it would have been found. He doesn't look anything like the sketch or anything like the description of, of Zodiac. So, you know, I'm pretty confident it wasn't him. And when people talk about the handwriting looking similar, I mean, both of them tried to mask their handwriting style by kind of doing block letters, right? Yeah, I, I will. Ted Kaczynski's I don't know about. I've actually seen some 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 uh, writing samples of Ted's that were just like notes. I don't know if they got them, you know, for evidence or found them wherever they found them, but he had some notes that he had just handwritten uh, that weren't threatening notes. It was just like a a grocery list or something like that. Um, So I think he wrote in his everyday writing. Uh, Zodiac's, I I think the writing, and there's a lot of writing out there that you can find online for him, but I think that's his everyday writing. I think he just, you know, I think he was such a loner and so, you know, so alone or whatever that nobody really even recognized his handwriting. That's my personal opinion. I don't think it's disguised. I think the writing you see is is his real writing. What about the cipher that Zodiac sent to the police that seemed to potentially spell out Theodore Kaczynski? And he had said 
that you know if you could figure if you could solve this cipher you will have my name that cipher was definitely solved and there's nothing about ted kaczynski in it now at the end of the cipher there's like a, a leftover bunch of of symbols and there's a certain amount of characters i think it's 17 or 18 leftover symbols whatever it is but you know, a lot of people have tried to anagram that into all kinds of different names. I, I've never heard of it being Ted Kaczynski, but somebody that's maybe a Ted Kaczynski supporter of Zodiac, maybe they've tried to fit that in there. I, I think the most common belief, of, you know, for cipher experts anyways, is that it was just leftover, you know, symbols to make the uh, the cipher appear more uniform. Uh, and it's it doesn't mean anything, but there's there's people that have tried to rescramble those symbols around and make some some words out of them for sure. Okay, so let me get this straight. What you're saying right now is that the Zodiac was a very personal killer, and he killed people up close, and Ted Kaczynski killed people from a distance. And if by chance they happen to be the same person, then we'd be talking about potentially the most interesting and prolific serial killer of all time. You'd be right if he if he turned out somehow to be the Zodiac, then you know that'd be a big story for sure. I'm not I'm not sure how you I don't know if you've been working in the like the White House press office, but I'm not sure how you just made his complete denial that he believed in that into. So what you're saying is it's such a long shot that if it were true, <laughs> thank you. I was working on that spin for a minute there. Is, is yeah. Sean Spicer in this room? <laughs> He's writing for us now. I think that's what the leftover uh, symbols spell is Sean Spicer. Okay. <laughs> or Ted Cruz, because the Ted Cruz Zodiac stuff was going around. But Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. So what you said that you looked at some samples of, um, I think it's great that you called uh, the Unabomber Ted. Uh, you looked at some examples of Ted's writing, and uh, you've seen, uh, you've, you've spoken to the police about the Zodiac. Um can you talk a little bit about the interaction that you've had with law enforcement and what their reaction is and how what you have to say to um, get your eyes and hands on some of this evidence? You know, it's 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 a mixed bag when you talk to investigators about the Zodiac case because half of them are, you know, 30 years old, 35 years old, and they weren't even alive when, when the case was happening. Half of them don't know a lot about the case. They get stuck where it's like a rotating thing for six months or 12 months it's their turn to, to manage the case. And then after six or 12 months, they'll rotate it to another detective. So most of the de detectives that I talk to are not happy to have it because I think what it brings out is it brings out a lot of nut jobs that come out with these wacky, crazy theories. And I think they have to take them, you know, they're the, the tips and stuff that come in. They have to at least look at them, note them, whatever they got to do with them, but it, it costs them time you know, to do that stuff. And I think for a lot of investigators, they just don't want the Zodiac case on their plate. And I've talked to several of them, but there's been, you know, there's been one in Napa, there's one in Vallejo uh, that were interested and in worked the case, you know, enthusiastically and, uh, you know, that are still hoping it's solved and, and felt, not, I don't want to say honored to have the case, but felt like it was their duty to try and, and, and solve the case just as if it was a, a fresh case. How do you even know when it's right to pick up the phone or to to, to visit the police, to visit law enforcement, to say, I, I feel like it's appropriate right now, and what I have to ask them is going to be worth their time? Most of the time I'll start off saying, I run a Zodiac site, you know, I have people that email me with tips and theories and, and whatnot, and if it's 
if it's something that looks like it could be legit, you know, I'll pass it along because for, for all we know, they might have that tip or that information already in the, the case file someplace. So it might you know, be something that they're interested in. But luckily, you know, I've been introduced to enough people where I can call them up and say, hey, I'm Mike Morford and so-and-so recommended me to call you. And once I drop a name, then they're usually okay. They're usually, okay, no problem. And then they're willing to willing to talk with me and stuff. And just by talking to you now, it's it's apparent that you're a, a level-headed human being. Um, and you have obviously thought about that attitude when you, uh, when you approach law enforcement. Um, we've been, we've been trying to, cause we, we see this like big influx in the armchair detectives and the citizen detectives. And, uh, all of a sudden it becomes a responsibility to say, when we have people like yourself on, um, to really push that, you know, don't contact law enforcement if you have this gut feeling, you know, contact law enforcement when, like you said, you had a reference and you contacted them and said, hey, this guy thinks that I should talk to you. I, I run a website. I get a lot of tips. Um, really, really like vet all of your information. Um, and I, I, how, you must have a ton of information. Is it, is it tempting at all to, to run a, like get your have your emotions run away with that and pick up the phone and call law enforcement? Like how do you control your emotions in this? Well, you can – I mean you can look – at something and get wrapped up in it or, you know, get a gut feeling that, Hey, this guy needs to be looked at closer. And, you know, I might shoot a couple emails over and say, Hey, you know, this so-and-so gave me this name, so-and-so this, you know, and, and I'll forward that over to my contacts and, and they'll shoot me an email back. And sometimes we'll call up and talk on the phone about it. Um, but you know, you're right. You don't want to hit them up with every little, you know, tidbit, every little, feeling that you have because at some point it's, it's like the boy that cried wolf. You, you call them 30 times with 30 different names and, and stuff. They're going to start not taking you seriously. And, and the, and the problem is a case like the Zodiac case is a cold case. There's not much going on with it. It's almost 50 years. It's probably not going to be solved. And when these detectives have to spend time on it, it takes away from fresh cases that they can be working on that actually have a good chance of being solved. What, have been some of the more interesting tips or what was what is the most interesting thing that's come in through the website i've gotten a couple names that when i looked them up they were pretty interesting and i forward them you know to police but then it's not even so much those it's the crazy theories that come in like they come up with the scientific thing like it was a full moon this night and 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 they just come up with this wild theory and all of a sudden it's a scientific algebraic you know, algebraic, uh, theory that they come up with. And it's like, uh, it's, you, you can't even understand what they're talking about. So it's like, I'm not going to send this to the police. It's, it's, it's bonkers, you know? So, you know, things like that, you know, come in a lot, unfortunately, but, uh, once in a while I get a good name or something that that has some good information along with it. I'll send that over to, to police. And, uh, what do you think happened? Who do you, who do you think is the Zodiac killer? My, you know, my, personal opinion and again i don't want to for the podcast that we're doing we want to be really neutral about it and just lay the facts of the case out there and then that kind of stuff but as far as my personal opinion i don't want to push on anybody uh my opinion is it was a guy named ross sullivan that was uh zodiac um you know i don't want to 
you know, take a 10 minute detour here and explain why, but you know, you can, that's a guy that you can Google and, and you'll find enough on, on the internet about him and you know, why he might be a good suspect, Wow. but just like, just like every suspect though, there's, um, you know, there's pros and cons and, you know, you have to really be careful when you're throwing somebody's name out there. Of course, most of the suspects are, are dead by now. So, I mean, you don't have to really worry about getting sued by them or anything like that, but you know, you don't want to throw somebody's name out there without having some good, you know, some good reason to suspect that they could could be responsible. Was Ross Sullivan a character in the Zodiac movie? No, Ross Sullivan. Uh, he's he'd never been mentioned in the book, the movie, anything like that. I was going to say it's interesting because most people go with um, Arthur Lee Allen or um, or uh, Rick Marshall and. And I, when you said that, I thought for sure you were going to say Arthur Lee Allen because that's pretty much where most people end up where they uh, after they look into this. Um, I know you don't want to take a huge detour on it, but what what brings you to that conclusion? You, the, again, the Zodiac case is so long and so many pieces to it, but essentially there's a, a link, and I don't want to give it away for anybody from, from the podcast that's going to be listening, but there's a link to – Riverside in Southern California, which, you know, is six, seven hours south of, you know, San Francisco where Zodiac was killing. But there's a link down there to a library um, for Zodiac and come to find out Ross Sullivan worked in, in that library. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, we finally got a picture of him. We, would, we had read some stuff about him. His name popped up in a couple of reports and stuff. We finally got a picture of him and he's like the spitting image of the the infamous Zodiac sketch. So putting those two things together, you know, in my mind, they're, they're pretty strong things. And again, there's things that don't fit either. I, I don't want to, I don't tend to go down a blind alley and just stick with somebody no matter what I look at the pros and cons. So, you know, there's certain things that don't fit about them, but those are two things that really fit that are, you know, from there, I'm, I think are, are pretty important. And uh, Lance, I know you, you had looked into the Zodiac, uh, killer case a lot more than I have. So was that a name that you had ever heard before? No, no. I I had always uh, I'd always looked at uh, Arthur Lee Allen. Of course, I looked into him before we started doing this podcast and before we started understanding the nuances and the obvious things you should do when you're looking into open cases. So I looked at Arthur Lee Allen and Rick Marshall and really focused on them and was like, how can I how can I prove in my own head that these guys were the one of them was the Zodiac killer. And again, at that point, I realized the Zodiac was was so dense and we started to get into Morris case and Brianna's case and the Dean case that and, you know, Mike, you've got this like you're, you're cool with doing this. We don't need to interfere. But all of that being said, no, I'd never heard that until you just said that. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's only been a suspect for the last couple of years, but you know, Rick Marshall and Arthur Lee Allen have been suspects since Robert Grayson's, you know, book came out. And the movie is based on on the book, you know, Zodiac by Robert Graysmith. So it's essentially the movie is, is the, the film version of the book. Um, and he focuses on, on Allen for the most part. He was interested in Marshall, but then he got focused on Allen. So in his book, he steered towards Allen as if Allen was the Zodiac and, you know, that's where the book wound up going. He actually wrote a sequel called Zodiac Unmasked, and that's when he mentioned Alan by name. And that's what the movie's based on. So if you watch the first 
you know, 45 minutes or so of the movie Zodiac, it's, it's pretty much about the murders themselves, but the rest of the other hour and a half, two hours of it is, is mainly focused on the hunt for Zodiac and Arthur Lee Allen himself. God, it's such a good movie. It's a great movie. It's one of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. I think it's one of my favorites too. Even though it's one of your favorites, do you get frustrated with, uh, the direction that it goes, just focusing on just a couple, or do you realize that, you know, there's so much to it. It's so dense that there's no way. And it is based on Graysmith's book. Yeah. I, I, I don't get frustrated. It, it is what it is. It's the history of the case. You know, it's it, again, in my mind, unfortunately, I, I think the case is going to go unsolved. Um, you know, that being said, there's some, some things working. I can't really say what they are right now, but there's some things working, you know, that I've heard through the grapevine that might lead to some additional clues coming out. I don't know that it's going to solve the case, but, you know, I know they're definitely working on some stuff regarding the case that could bring some more clues to to surface. Great. Uh, when Such can, as? Yeah. When, <laughs> uh, can you <laughs> explain can, them all to us I, right I, now? I could say it's, from what I understand, it's, it's related to DNA. That's about all I can say about it. I can't say too much about how it's related, but. Cool. Is it, would you know when there'll be an update on that? I'm actually waiting to get one back now, an update on it. I, this is a couple of months ago I first heard about it, and um, I haven't heard too much more. So I'm actually emailed somebody the other day. I'm waiting to get a response and, and just see where that stands. Who do you email, and what do you email? Do you say, "Hey, what's going on with this Zodiac DNA?" Yeah, I, you know, it's, I, I don't want to drop any names, but you know, I have somebody that I, you know, every once a month or every few weeks or something, we'll get on the phone or we'll shoot some emails back and forth and, and they'll, they'll tell me what's where they're at with certain things. And I'll say, Hey, what's going on with this? So, but unfortunately a lot of it, I can't share and put out there because it's, it's, it's supposed to be uh, confidential. So you guys know how it is, you know, working on the cases you're working on. If you hear something from an inside source, you'd love to be able to put it out there and say, Hey, this is, this is what I heard. But you know, it's not something that you can do without burning your your contact. Right. Lance usually waits till the very end of the episode to do it. And I just slip it in. Hey, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we just we cut, hard cut. If you could, I have one more question about Zodiac. I don't know if you want to move on from Zodiac, but I have one more question about Zodiac. If you could take one of Zodiac's ciphers or letters or cards that he sent to the police or to the media and and make it into say like a birthday card for a loved one which what would it be uh if i gave my loved one something from zodiac i'd probably get divorced i'd probably give it to my wife just as a joke because she she gets creeped out by some of that stuff um but i'd I'd probably he sent a halloween card to uh reporter paul avery which was in the movie i think that would be a great gag to, to to play on somebody Okay, let's switch gears a little bit to let, let's talk about the Golden State Killer. Um, now I know you were at CrimeCon, and we mentioned earlier we kind of crossed paths, but didn't really uh, get to talk at CrimeCon. But so you were there on a Golden State Killer panel. Uh, now, what, yeah, tell us about this. The Golden State Killer, you know, for anybody out there listening that's not familiar with the case is California's worst prolific serial offender, if, if not the, the countries. It's a guy that did, you know, committed 50 rapes and a dozen murders and um, is still uncaught. You know, compared to him, Zodiac was a, 
you know, was a, a minnow compared to him. It's it's night and day difference. You know, he came into people's houses, tied them up, raped them, murdered them. Um, so it's a little bit of a different killer. And, and what had happened was he never had a really good name. Um, he was the East Area Rapist, and then he was the original Night Stalker, and then he became the Golden State Killer. Um, that's the finally the name that most of us use now. But, you know, it was a case that a lot of people just weren't aware of. And they're like, how can this be like California's worst serial killer? And I've never heard of him. So... What happened was, you know, a couple of years back, I'm going to guess it was about two years ago, maybe, um, Michelle McNamara and I used to correspond, you know, about some different cases we had some interest in, and we'd shoot some emails back and forth. And we used to talk about Zodiac, but she sort of moved on from Zodiac, and she had really gotten hooked on the Golden State Killer. And she sent me an email and asked if I'd be interested in, you know, jumping into that case the way that I jumped into Zodiac, because you know, there's a lot more material. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of clues and stuff. And at the time I I was really busy with the Zodiac stuff and some other stuff I was working on. And I had a, you know, I turned her down and then unfortunately she wound up dying, you know, last year, um, which, and at that point I sort of, you know, felt, you know, guilty for not taking her up on the offer to, to, um, look into the case. So at that point, once she passed away, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and look into the case and I wound up digging and, you know, I got in contact with some of the law enforcement, you know, contacts, I guess, you know, that I was given and start a little dialogue with them. And then one, one thing led to another. And then, you know, I said, I was able to get a lot of information and, and there's a good site, um, a good golden state killer site on pro boards. It's a forum. And on there, I was able to make friends with, um, a couple survive, uh, surviving victims, uh, Jane Car- Jane Carson uh, Sandler, and she was actually the fifth rape victim that survived. But then on the forum was Debbie Domingo. She's the daughter of, of one of the murder victims. And also on the forum was uh, Michelle Cruz, and her sister was Janelle Cruz, and she was the last victim um, of the Golden State Killer. And we just got to talking a little bit, and I'm going to guess it was back in February, maybe. Um, I heard about CrimeCon. I said, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to this. I said, this sounds way too cool not to go to it. And, you know, I didn't have any ambitions about doing anything. I just wanted to go there and, and meet some people and check out the stuff. And I reached out to them. I said, why don't you see if CrimeCon will take you guys and, and have you there to talk about this case and bring some attention to it? So they they said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So they actually reached out to CrimeCon, and CrimeCon was receptive, and they said, yeah, we'll, we'd love to have you out there. So, you know, they got together and said, we're going to go. And But they reached back out to me, you know, the, the ladies did, and they're like, Mike, can you come along with us and, and come on stage with us and, and be part of this, which was, was really a big honor. You know, it's not something I was planning on, but I said, yeah, I'd I definitely would do that for you. So at the presentation we did, I don't know if you guys were were in there for that part of it, but, you know, essentially each of the ladies gave a personal story about how a rapist and murderer affected their lives. And I followed those, you know, it's hard to follow them up, but um, we did the presentation. I followed up last and did a really good, um, 
you know, attempt to try and put as much material out about the case as possible. And it was crazy. I think we had three or 400 people in there, I'm going to guess. But at the end of it, it, there was just people coming up the stage. Oh, I never heard about this. I never heard about that. Can you tell me more about this? It was just weird. And then we went back to the booth and there was just a slew of people coming over asking questions. There were, there were people crying, um, you know, hearing the stories that these, you know, these three brave women were, are telling on stage it was moving to people to tears. So that was, that was something that was a real honor to be part of, you know, it wasn't something I planned on doing, but you know, I'm, I'm really glad I did. That's incredible. Uh, I talk about an honor, right. To, to be invited by these, uh, the, you know, not direct victims, but you know, very secondary victims to, uh, to this, the original night stalker is the golden state killer is the most prolific uh, serial killer in your opinion, or is it a fact in America? I'm not going to say America. I'm definitely going to say probably California. It's not just the murders. He's got 12 murders. I'm sure there's serial killers out there with bigger numbers, but it's the 50 rapes that are, are really disturbing too, to go in to somebody's house and get away with that at least 50 times on top of the 12 murders. And, and the, you know, the sad thing is if, if he's caught today, he can't even be tried for the rapes. It's it's all about the murders, but there's, there's some good hope that they're going to catch him. And, you know, he's young enough that he, you know, unlike Zodiac, he's young enough. He probably could still be alive and they're working hard to catch him. Yeah. So he can't be charged for the rapes because of the statute of limitation yep. on the crime of rape, which is completely fucked up. Yeah. That, that, that has to be in the category of that has to be changed. It has to be in the category murder has no statute of limitations. Rape, especially when it's uh, when you have invaded the home, it's an you. It's a it's a premeditated rape that has to be changed. There has to be no statute of limitations on that. Um, that's absolutely crazy that he could get away with what did you say fifty rapes if he was caught today? Because just time ran out. He just I just decided to stop doing it. Yeah. And, and, you know, from what I've heard and, you know, I'm, I don't want to speak bad of the police. I never want to do that. But from what I understand, as soon as the statute of limitations was out on, on the rapes, you know, Sacramento was where he started. They pretty much threw out most everything associated with the rapes. So they lost a lot of different files and reports and who knows what kind of clues were in there and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's playing catch up basically at this point, trying to you know see what suspects they have if they've already been looked at, rolled out, or or whatever. Now I feel like this would be something where if you were to contact Sacramento, which I'm sure you have, I I, I feel like this could be something where the the statute of limitations is running out. They might welcome some sort of uh, citizen detective to come along and say, "I'll do the legwork for you. You guys, you guys do your you know. I know you can't allocate men and and." budget to this case but you know just tell me tell me you know what i need to know as i need to know it and i'll try to put the pieces together especially after looking at your track record you know you're not going to go out and and make a um uh you're not going to exploit this yeah i mean and they're getting a lot of tips not just you know me talking to them or anything and i actually did turn in you know the contact that i have in law enforcement i was able to give them a pretty good amount of names that I developed for one reason or another. And they, they checked a bunch of them out and one of them was actually elevated to DNA collection based on what I gave him. So, and you know, it took I think eight or nine months, but he, he got ruled out. Uh, he's a pretty good, you know, suspect in my mind, but 
after that, I just moved on and, and kept going. Uh, but they do they do take some of the stuff seriously. I think they get a lot of tips. And what happened was to mark the 40th anniversary of the case starting. It started at 76. Last summer, they had a giant news conference and and announced a, a new effort to, to catch him. And they put out a $50,000 reward, which is, to me, is nothing for, for that level of, of of crime, you know, the amount of murders and rapes that he did fifty thousand dollars in the state of California is is peanuts, you know. So uh, I wish that was bigger. I wish there was a way that they could, you know, because if it was, you know, if it was a hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something, I think you'd have all kinds of tips coming in, you know, because I think that would motivate people. But you know, unfortunately, that's that's what it is. But I would hope that somebody would come forward with information, not for the reward, but just you know, help see the case solved. And you're relatively confident that this is one person, not two or three people, because I know that the the sketches, um, you can find similarities between the sketches over the years, but they do look like a couple of a uh, couple of different people. What's your opinion on that? Those sketches are are they weren't of him directly. They were of suspicious people seen around the scene of the crime at around the time of the crime. So they were just people of interest that they wanted to to talk to and identify. As far as as he, you know, the killer and the rapist, he was always known to wear a ski mask. And, you know, there's been a couple instances where he took it off and somebody saw part of his face, you know, things like that. But for the most part, he always had a ski mask on. So that's been one of the hard parts about the case. Now, one of these sketches could be him. Uh, but they just don't know for sure. That's why there's so many different sketches. As I was looking into the case, kind of preparing for this interview is the poem that he wrote, uh, excitement, uh, excitement's crave. And first part of my comment is that that was written on my birthday, which is, which was interesting to see. And the, the, the second part is, uh, do you think that he was inspired? And this might be completely, uh, obvious. Do you personally think he was inspired by the Zodiac and the Zodiac's writings and explain what the excitement's crave is? Well, so the excitement's crave is a poem that he wrote, you know, allegedly wrote, I mean, there's some people say it's not really him that wrote it, but, you know, demented uh, outlook on, on who he was or, or whatever. I, I think that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not a poet or, you know, I don't read poetry or whatever. So as far as commenting on the, how good it is, you know, I couldn't say, but um, in, in that case, there's a, you know, some of the writings and there's, there's more than that. There's some other writings in the case that were discovered at, you know, near one of the crime scenes that they use that they think would be his and you can find them online. Um, but they're, they're possible clues. And a couple of people have, you know, have said, I think he was inspired by the Zodiac and he could have been, you know, if he was a, you know, a teenager or a little bit younger when Zodiac was, was active, you know, Sacramento is not that far away from, from, from Baleo in San Francisco. So he, he definitely probably would have heard about it. And I think maybe, you know, maybe he, he was inspired a little bit, but he, he didn't go out of his way like Zodiac did to contact the press. I mean, there were a couple calls that he made, um, that were probably him that were, there's some recordings of them, uh, calling into the police. Um, but he didn't go out of his way to write a lot of letters like Zodiac did, you know, taunting them. And, their crimes are definitely different. Zodiac would find lone couples out, you know, on a lover's lane someplace and, and randomly shoot them. Whereas the golden state killer would 
target them for weeks in advance, months in advance. You know, sometimes he would um, he would make calls to them and just hang up or do heavy breathing and stuff like that ahead of time. And then, you know, even more disturbing was after some of the crimes, he would call them back and and taunt them with phone calls. So I think he was actually more interested in terrorizing the victims than he was taunting the police. He would he would actually call the victims he would he would stalk the victims call them when you're looking into the case it's freaky i mean i'm, I'm like borderline really freaked out <laughs> right now because he would you know you think back it was like the late 70s and you know you just have that like that that image of you know the when a stranger calls you know where, where the phone rings and the bell like the phone is so goddamn loud and so jarring and then you have this you know the the ray phone call that he made uh is Ray there and it just turns it's a wrong number but it ends up being he's probably calling to make sure that these people are home that he's been stalking or this woman's home that he's been stalking um it's freaky and you think that that was part of the adrenaline of it and do you obviously it was right I think he loved prowling and stalking and he would go into these people's houses and he would ahead of time he'd lock unlock certain windows he would take firearms you know guns that he found and unload them you know just so when he came in these people would try and defend themselves and all of a sudden their guns aren't loaded so i mean he would go in ahead of time do this stuff and then come back later on and and attack them so he spent weeks or, or months on certain victims and and uh leading up to the attacks and then after the attacks and some of the victims even moved and he would later get a hold of their number somehow and and reach back out and and call them so it's it's a scary case, the level that he went to and the amount of victims that he had. When I first started reading about this, I've always been safety conscious and, and security conscious. But literally, since I looked into this case, I'm double checking every every window and every door before I go to bed at night. The alarm's always on. You know, it's just it because it's just scary to think that this kind of person, you know, is out there. I'm pretty sure I saw the closet doors behind you move. Nah, it might be my cat. I hope it is. Maybe you're freaking me out. <laughs> no, your cat was on the other side of the frame. Yeah, I don't know. He might be moving around, but I hope it's. I hope it's him. <laughs> just check them. Check it before you go to bed. <laughs> yeah, just finish the interview and then check. Yeah. It. yeah. Um, so, do you do you have a theory on on who the original Night Stalker, uh, Golden State Killer, is? I don't. I mean, I've I've got a list of just a big list of people that. You know, we're in that area. I have I have an idea from a profile standpoint of who I I personally think he is, and I've got a list of people that meet that. Yeah, but none, like in the Zodiac case, none that I can put my finger to. I think this was the guy, the guy that I turned in, and they they felt strong enough to elevate him to DNA collection. I had a really good feeling about him. You know, for a number of different reasons, and. It was hard to get the news that he wasn't the guy because I actually I actually thought he could be the guy, but you know like some people when they get that news that their person of interest is not the guy, they just can't let go of it and they're they're like well what if he was this and what if what if he used a wig and you know they they explain away different things of why that that person wasn't the right guy, whereas me, I you know it's like flush them and then move on to the next one so that's i try and keep an open mind when i'm when i'm doing this stuff this is the original night stalker 
not to be confused with the Night Stalker, uh, Richard Ramirez. Why do you think Richard Ramirez is more of a household name than than this original Night Stalker? Is it because he was caught and he had this personality to him? I think it was the whole satanic, evil angle to it. Because I, I think back then, Satanism was like, people were terrified of it. And, you know, heavy metal music back then, they were terrified that it was influencing people. And I think he used that that spotlight to to try and scare people and 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 i think that's what what did it and a part of it's the names because you know when he started when the golden state killer started up in sacramento with the rapes he was known as the east area rapist and when he moved down to southern california he was called the night stalker and but he was doing this before richard ramirez started doing his stuff so that's why it's called the original Night Stalker, because they called him the Night Stalker before Richard Ramirez. But I think a combination of the two names in different parts of the state was kind of confusing. That's why more people hadn't heard of him. And then, you know, it was a few years ago that Michelle McNamara is actually the one that came up with the name Golden State Killer. And that pretty much covered him across the, the board. And that's what a lot of people refer to him now as. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mike Morford. Uh Check out truecrimeguy.com and zodiackillersite.com and the new podcast Criminology with Mike and Mike. Uh, We could go on and on, but uh, we really don't want to freak anybody out. The door did open behind you. Your closet door did open. It's starting to freak me out now. Okay. person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.